friends, Chris Sauter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message. Sodder. I'm actually Chris's mom. A lot of what I'm going to talk about really affected Chris, and he has truly affected me. So when he asked me to speak today, he said, I want you to speak, Mom, on evolving faith. And I said, well, how do I do that with what I, you know, my life? And he said, share your faith journey. Um, wow, what a journey. I've been so many places and absorbed so many things. Uh, a lot of bad in the way that it had to be changed and a lot of good and i felt i felt a lot of shame in all of this moving from place to place and absorbing what was bad and but it was pointed out to me that um as i've moved and changed i've grown and as i look back now i can accept that and i don't have to feel shame so i looked up the definition of evolve and it said to advance, to grow, to change, and to ripen. When I was growing up, um, there was a string attached to my light switch. And at the end of that string, there was this cross that glowed in the dark. And it had the words inscribed on it, follow me. And from a very young age, I think that's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to know him. And it seemed like he was always just a few steps ahead of me, but he was always beckoning me forward. Um, to begin that journey, that evolution, uh, began with my roots in the Lutheran church, a little white church in Scanlon, not too far from here. My grandfather pioneered that church. My um, extended family practically ran it. My friends, my schoolmates in elementary school and in high school, they all went there. And it was a, a sweet little community. I got my foundation there. I learned about the Bible there. You know, the word for word, word of God. And I learned all the Bible stories. I learned naturally that, uh, you know, the earth was created in seven days. I learned that God created Adam and Eve. Eve ate an apple, made us all sinners. Didn't know how that worked, but I accepted it. Um, then there was Noah and the boat full of stinky animals. I never, never really explored why or how, you know, there were just eight people on that boat and all these other people died in desperation and pain. That was really never brought up. And then there was the Old Testament with God supposedly commanding warriors to go in and kill everyone in a village, including babies and children. I never questioned that either. And then there was Jesus, you know, the nice, good, white guy with perfect hair. Um, 
I did learn about heaven and hell. I learned that heaven was up there somewhere and hell was down there somewhere. And I learned, or at least it was impressed upon me, that um, being good had to do with going to church. So when my brother died when I was 19 in a car accident, I was tormented by the fact that he didn't go to church in his teens, so where did he go when he died? But my takeaway from that church, the good takeaway was that Jesus, God, really loved me. I would have stayed there probably, but I got married to that guy in the background there. And, <laughs> and he was Catholic. <laughs> he was Catholic, and I wanted to make sure that when we had a family, we all went to church together. That was important to me. So I changed, slipped into the Catholic church for seven years. Our kids were raised there. It was a sweet little community in Carleton, you know, the place that's like heaven on earth, according to Chris. And they, the kids loved it. We loved it. I mean, just ask them. They still talk about the donuts. Um, it was good until I read a book by Corey Ten Boom called The Hiding Place. Corey was, was a deeply devout person, but not only that, she and her family <clears throat> were devout, but they had a deep love for God and they believed that when you loved God and knew how much he loved you, that you were to, to pour that out on people who needed it. And at that time, there were people who really needed it. This, this was the, the before World War II, at the beginning, when um, Nazis occupied Amsterdam, which is where the Ten Booms lived. When they started rounding up Jewish people and either killing them or sending them to concentration camps to be killed, Corey and her family knew they had to do something about this as much as they could. So they hid Jewish people in a secret part of their attic. Eventually they were found out and they themselves were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And as her sister lay dying, she looked at Corey and she said, remember Corey, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And that has stayed with me for over 40 years. Uh, Corey survived the concentration camp and she went on to establish ministry houses for people coming out of the camps and people that were, <clears throat> excuse me, ravaged in any way from the occupation, from the war. And not only that, but she, she found herself ministering to guards that came from, the, from Ravensbrook. One particular day, a guard walked into her ministry house, one who had been partly responsible for her sister dying. And she was faced with the, the challenge of having to forgive this woman, and she didn't think she could do it. But God touched her heart, and she was able to forgive her actually from her heart. This impacted me, and I thought, wow, what a relationship with God she has. I want that. Well, I found out that when you ask God for more, more of knowing him, that he delivers, and that's what happened to me. I found a, a, just this new relationship with him, and I needed to know, I needed to know what this was all about. So I found another church, a charismatic church. Wow, this was a real experience. I, um, I found, I, I traded in my hymns for songs, I ditched my old friends, unfortunately, and found new friends because I wanted to be with people who 
wanted to do nothing but talk about Jesus. Uh, this place was alive and kicking. I mean, literally kicking. Uh, we kicked our shoes off and danced in the aisles. We uh, threw our arms up in the air and yelled, hallelujah. Um, it was so free and wonderful. I think I actually played the tambourine there. So Sarah, if you, if you need a tambourine player, I'm your, your girl. <laughs> I do need a tambourine player. <laughs> but I paid the price. Uh, my marriage suffered. My kids suffered. They were in church for hours. I passed on erroneous teachings to them. I passed on the fact that uh, therapists and medication for depression weren't to be trusted. I suffered from depression periodically and for years I, I thought that the only way to deal with it was through prayer. And I probably postponed coming out of that for a long, long time by not, not going to see somebody. I also passed on to them the fact that, which I was taught, was that homosexuality was a sin. A lot of things were, sinning, were a sin. Drinking was a sin. Um, I also learned there that God is in control. In fact, the leadership told us that if you have not led somebody to the Lord in the last year, then you have to consider your own salvation. That one I didn't buy. My takeaway, though, the good takeaway, was that I learned about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And I experienced that. I experienced sometimes, off and on, and since, those thin places that Chris has talked about where heaven and earth intersect, and it was, it was beautiful. Um, my relationship with Jesus grew, but me and a few others apparently talked too much about the presence of God because the leadership, without warning one day, called us into their office and said, you need to leave. You need to leave this church and not come back. And we were kicked out. I was devastated. I had been there for 10 years, and that was my first experience with spiritual abuse. Um, so what did I do after that? This is the embarrassing part. <laughs> I followed a man named Benny Hinn, who was a televangelist, a healing minister. Uh, he held these crusades all over the country in big auditoriums. Lots and lots of people came, and me and a few others went to volunteer, and we would help set up the auditoriums, including putting black plastic over uh, large areas of the seats so that the auditorium looked full for the camera because it was televised for, for television. Um, we did a lot of, we had to do a lot of things that I looked back on and thought, wow, what deception. Um, there was hero worship. When he would go to shake people's hands off the stage after each service, women would grab at his shirt. And, and we all, we just wanted to be prayed for by him. Uh, when I look back on it now, it's disgusting. Um, money. Lots and lots of money. People were encouraged that the more they gave, the more they would receive God's blessing, hopefully including healing. But a lot of people came there in, in uh, wheelchairs. People brought their kids, their sick kids on gurneys, and they left with their kids on gurneys. They left wheeling their wheelchairs, sitting in them. Uh, hurtful things. I was told that there could be no noise in the auditorium during the healing part of the service. And I actually 
told people with young children who they brought to be healed that they had to leave because their children were so noisy. It took a long time for all of this to register as what in the world am I doing here? So people were hurt. The prosperity gospel, we were told that, that um, it's better to be rich than it is to be poor. God doesn't want you driving around in an old car because it doesn't glorify him. Volunteers came sweet and humble to serve in that ministry and within a very short time, they weren't sweet anymore. They were disdainful, they were arrogant. I don't know how sweet I came, but I became disdainful and arrogant. I felt totally privileged. I felt more than a lot of people. Meanwhile, God was, my conscience, God was screaming in my head, leave. So was my husband. <laughs> How did I grow? I have no idea. Maybe um, in the way that you don't depend on a man to bring you to God. And excitement and hype don't equal God because he's found in the quiet places more than in, than in the chaotic, noisy places. And I learned for sure, never watch a tele-evangelist again. So... I left Benny and I was on to another church, which is a pretty good church. Um, and the best takeaway out of that was that Chris and Daniel, my other son, Daniel, uh, went to youth group there. The best one was that Chris met Nikki there and they were married. That's the best takeaway. But um, there was something that, I, that was lacking. And I, again, I was feeling like, what do I need? Where am I going? I went from there to a home group which became a very close and loving community. And we were learning about the Jewish roots of our faith and I found this satisfying and exciting. And I would have stayed there probably for a longer time, but we as a group moved into a Messianic Jewish church in Duluth. Messianic means for Jewish people that they've come to accept Jesus as their Messiah. We already know he's the Messiah, but to, to go to a Messianic Jewish church simply meant that we were worshiping in the, in the fashion of a synagogue. Uh, I loved the liturgy. I loved the, the music. I was dancing again, <laughs> but this time not in the aisles with my, with my shoes kicked off. It was a, an actual dance team. And there were, there were tambourines. <laughs> um, I learned a new way to read the Bible here. I learned about reading it in context, and culture and the original language, and this was just threw it wide open to me. I also learned that Jesus does, does have messy hair after all. He's not white, he's brown, and by golly, he's Jewish. Um, I love the liturgy. Ask Nikki about that. Nikki came to visit me one day during a service, and she saw me wearing a head covering. She saw me dancing. She saw the liturgy, which was really really a new experience. Um, she saw the men wearing kippahs, which is the Jewish uh, cap. Um, and she knew that I kept kosher. I didn't, I didn't eat pork, I didn't eat shellfish. I mean, I was fully into this. And my guess is that she went home and told Chris all about this, and they were on their knees constantly for me to leave this place. <laughs> and then asked my son Daniel about the the time that he said, Mom, could you please take down the Hanukkah decorations at Christmas because my friends are coming over. So it was sweet until there was 
Manipulation and, and control again reared its ugly head. There was division in the church and I didn't want to go either way. So I left. Uh, my takeaway was that, hey, drinking is not a sin. Uh, what I've already explained about the Bible. And I found out that I could speak in front of a large group of people without fear, which I did often there and I loved it. Um, but I, as I left, I thought, why, do church, why don't churches reach out to other people? Why don't they do something for people who need something instead of just helping themselves to a good time? Because that's what I've been having for a long time is having a good time. So my next stop was an evangelical vineyard church where Chris and Nikki were by this time pastors. I was relieved to find that there was no yelling, there was no chaos, the music was great. It was active, but in a, in a quieter kind of way. The teaching seemed good. I learned about the already and the not yet, which I had been looking for because I couldn't figure out why God didn't heal everyone, why God sometimes uh, answered prayers and sometimes didn't. And it was explained that the glory of God comes through from what will be into what is into the here and now and, and will answer that prayer. And the question I didn't dare ask anybody was, well, God has to be deciding when that glory comes through because the glory is him. So how come he chooses sometimes to and sometimes not to? Um, by that time, I was questioning why legislatures had the right to say that gay people could not be married, but the vineyard had decreed that the vineyard would not ever marry a gay couple. And the church was getting bigger and I felt pretty much lost. And there were hurtful words, control again. There were hurtful words spoken to me by one of the head pastors in a crowd of people, actually in the entryway, instead of in a private place where we could talk about it. My takeaway was that I, encouraged, I was encouraged to lead groups, which I loved. I never thought I was equipped to do anything like that. And I learned here that I, I actually couldn't. I was encouraged to do it and led several groups. Also, there was the serving aspect. There was the food pantry, street ministry. I mean, it was a pretty sweet place. But like I said, it was getting bigger. So I was so happy when Chris and Nikki planted the Vineyard Church of Cloquet. Uh, serving was encouraged. Leadership was encouraged. The music was great. I loved it. I loved the fact that they were pastors and they didn't have to work long, long hours several times a week. But it was good until Chris started messing with my Bible. There, I felt the seismic activity. I think Sarah talked about that in that meditation. I felt the platelets shift under my feet. In private conversations and in Chris's messages, I would hear him say things and I would think, he didn't really say that. He didn't really mean that. And I would just kind of push it aside. And I, a, friend, a friend once looked at me while we were sitting in a service and said, buckle up, here we go. Evolution versus creation. There was science staring me in the face. Um, the flood, everything, everything was like it was thrown up in the air and I didn't know what was gonna land in the bucket. Mostly this was surrounding the the um the lgbtq people um gay marriage for me wasn't a problem anymore um i like i said i didn't see how any law
could tell anybody who they could marry and who they couldn't. But the problem was that my Bible said it was a sin, that, that LGBTQ lifestyle was a sin. And if, I, if that was changed, then what else could I not trust in the Bible? I mean, what if, what if I found out that everything about Jesus wasn't even true? I couldn't stand it. I cried, I read, I cried, I reread. I was agonizing until I read a book by Ken Wilson, A Letter to My Congregation. That opened my eyes. That made the doors start to creak open. And it really opened when I found a website called gaychurch.org. And I read a long message by the pastor of that church. And I was reminded to read my Bible in culture, context, and considering the audience, the original audience. I read other books. I gained a new understanding of the Bible. And I began to question how a church, myself included, could say to LGBTQ people, come on in, we love you. God loves you so much. Just come on in and take a seat. Listen to the music, listen to the message, have the coffee and donuts. We just love you and we're so glad we're here. But whoa, up came the hand. No, you can't lead. You can't lead any kind of a group. You can't get married here. We will not marry you here. And I thought, how can that be? How can, how can we say we love you and God loves you when he's not gonna include and bring completely into a church? And the neighborhood church was born. <laughs> and I became a part of it, fully a part of it. Um, I know there was lots of pain. That change brought a lot of pain, but it brought a lot of goodness. And then I reached another hurdle. God is not in control. Seriously, I felt like I was losing God again. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know who I was praying to, barely. I felt like if my God didn't, wasn't able to control anything, then how could my God be powerful? How could I trust him for protection, for healing, was he wimpy? And then I read another book. Wow, I read a lot of books. <laughs> Thomas J. Ord's God Can't. I had thought the God who can, why does the God who can, why is he the God who didn't or doesn't always? Um, already not yet wasn't working for me anymore. I learned and accepted that it's better to believe in a God who can't rather than a God who won't. I learned that he's always looking for pathways for, for us, for organisms, for cells, for, for um, microbes. Um, he's always looking for pathways because he, he desires fully in his unfailing love for us to, to receive the things that he wants. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to have joy. He wants mercy, and he's always looking for it. It finally occurred to me that when I thought he was the God who controlled everything and he didn't you know, come through all the time, I never questioned his power. Well, now I had a reason, a reason why he, he doesn't, because he can't. I did, I did realize that he's actively doing, he's not a wimpy God, he's not a God who just sits back and lets things happen, he's always active. 
Um, I found my powerful God again. I found my Bible again. I found prayer again. I learned that that he is present in everything. I can, I can feel his presence much more than I ever did in everything. Um, so it's been a wild ride. I've been a lot of places. Um, I also learned about the sin of certainty. So I don't believe the journey is over. The only thing I can be certain of is his love, his presence. And it means that I can still advance, I can still grow, and I can still ripen. Thanks for listening, church. Have a good and beautiful day. <laughs>